Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Something the GA might have forgotten, or the government might have forgotten, not just the GA, not maybe the GA, the government may well have forgotten. Some of the lads that play on the senior team who can play their matches also play on the under 20. So you can't play your under 20 match, but you can play your senior match. Like, at what stage does that begin to make sense? But then again, I mean, what else makes sense about... Hello, Mrs. Yeah, um, this is the HSE here. Uh, you're, unfortunately, your test was positive. You have COVID-19. Look, you'll be grand. You'll be grand. Just take paracetamol and stay in the bedroom and you'll be fine. And if you get sick, any sick or ring the doctor, you'll be grand. Just stay in. All right, stay in. Now, would you ever ring your friends? Oh, that's coming up later on this morning like you couldn't make that rubbish up and then they did pass the fines that was the one thing they did last night they passed the fines they passed the fines you'll be fined for not wearing a face mask you can be fined for not wearing a mask in a shop or on a bus or going outside the 5 kilometer limit it could be 500 euro on the spot you could be fined for holding a house party you could be jailed for organising a house party all this was approved by the cabinet yesterday but guess what we're heading into a bank holiday weekend and none of it is law yet and of course lockdown starts tonight but these things don't come into force until probably next Tuesday You, you, you you there's so much of it like you just couldn't make it up and it's just a pain in the neck for people who are like breaking their ass every day to try to do their best to follow the rules to be good citizens to you know wash their hands keep their distance cover their face and all of that and then you have this absolute nonsense absolute nonsense about contact tracing we'll get to all of that and plenty more besides 1850-715-996 is the number the text to whatsapp 083-396-9696 the email Opinion at 96fm.ie Let's go first to Lorna though, this is uh, nothing to do with with COVID-19 but Lorna's had a fairly awful experience in the last couple of days. Hi Lorna Good morning, how are you? Good, now you're not long back from Canada No, um, we came back um, at the start of September and I was up in Derry um, but my partner went back to work so I was on my own with my two dogs um, my four year old and my four month old so I decided to come down and live with my parents for the year Okay. Um, and before lockdown hits and I can get all the help because they're amazing and I went there the dogs first walk in Cork um, I was up in the fair field 
Right. I live on the north side of the city and be- walking around happy, everybody happy with their dogs. And I'm walking back down the street to my mom and dad's house. Um, and on the other side of the road, I see a woman and she ha- there's a dog jumping up on her, uh, a pit bull. And she looks at me and says, this isn't my dog. Uh, I don't know whose dog is this. And she had a bit of fear in her face, I could see. And then all of a sudden, the pit bull saw my two dogs ran into traffic, ran across the road and just went absolutely berserk on Polly, my female. She's six years old. She's a golden retriever. Now, Polly could get, Polly is a big dog. She's a golden retriever. She's 60 odd pounds. Yeah. And this pit bull just made absolute oh, savagery she'd of be, her legs. She'd be bigger in stature than the Oh, pit she's bull. double the size of the pit bull, but that pit bull locked and his jaw locked into her leg and he did serious damage. Then oh, I was on my own. I had um, I had my stick, and <laughs> that broke, as you could imagine. And I still couldn't, for the life, get that pit bull off my dog. Um, luckily, traffic stopped because everybody saw. Because this was it was like a scene out of a movie, is what I could say. It in was in the head, middle of know? the road, was it? Or you it was on. It was no. I was on the sidewalk. I was on the path okay. on like on the main road on Fairfield Road, up the Fairhill Road. And um, these are two lovely young lads. I don't know who they are. I know. Well, I do know. I found out their names. I'm going to thank them tonight. But um, they ran. I could just see them jumping over the wall, ran over to me without a care for their own safety, jumped right in to help me. And then this man jumped out of a truck. There was people like in big lorries and a bus and all. Tried to, there was like about six grown men and they couldn't get that dog off my dog. Finally... They were able to get a um, a crutch in between his jaw. I for, like I I know how to get a pit bull locked, but you lose it when all the chaos. You know, I went into complete shock. Um, they were ripping my dogs apart. He was ripping my dogs apart. Um, but they finally got him unlocked, and then um, my po- Polly got out, and he went for my other dog. So then he got him on the neck, Cooper's neck. Now he's he got he's got superficial bites in his neck, but I have a harness on them because they're right. pretty heavy dogs. And he locked his jaw locked around the harness, and that's what saved his life. Otherwise, he would have he would have th- torn his throat out. Is Polly now, okay? Polly had had kind of minor surgery. She has a drainage tubes in the back of her leg. She's going back to the vet now today. She's her leg is shaved apart, and she's got bite marks all down um, and on her neck. Now Polly Polly is a um, she's a protector dog. She knows how to protect herself. Kind yeah. of like she grew up in the. She grew up in Canada. She knows. She's been around coyotes, wolves, and we've walked in forests with bears. Like, you know, and I've never had an issue. Mm. Plus, the Golden Retriever is a very exactly. strong dog. Like, this yes, is not a puppy. This is not a cavalier. These are no. big, strong dogs. Exactly. And I had a harness on her. I have a harness on her to walk with her. Now, she ain't completely trained up. The two of them are. They're my babies. Like, they're my babies before my own babies. They're... They're they're six and seven years old, and I have them since they were both seven weeks old. And they've never spent a night outside. They're my they walked every day. They get the best food. They're my absolute life. I yeah. love them to this. Was and there any sign of an owner for this pit no. bull? So no. there was no collar on this pit bull. There was no owner around. There was no no sign of a leash. Nothing. Now let me make one thing clear. I'm a dog lover. I do not blame this dog. I know he's a pit bull. They're ferocious little uh, little animals, but they're also if they're loved and trained right, they're beautiful dogs. I've this spoken dog to owners of pit bulls. I've spoken to yeah. breeders of pit bulls, Lorna, and they all insist that Muggles. there's no such thing as a bad pit bull. It's a bad owner. Yes, 
yeah. And for the if I fight, this dog is going to be found. If it is, he will be put down because I have a four-year-old child. I walk my dogs every day with that four-year-old child, and so does their father when when he's not at work. When he's with us, they get walked every day. And my four-year-old and my four-year-month or four-month-old come with me. And even my four-year-old can walk. Polly, that's how much he loves her. If he was with me, my dad. I don't know what made my dad tell tell me to leave my children at home yesterday or uh, the other day. But they stayed home. If he was with me, he would have been, I, I don't even want to think. And that's what's replaying in my head is that where he lay or where that dog is, there is so many children. And if they have a ball that that dog wants or if they do something that that dog doesn't like, they're going to lock on and they're going to kill that child. And that's what scares me. And they're, they're, I, I can't even close my eyes thinking of the attack. Like every time I close my eyes, I get a little jolt in my body because mm-hmm. I, I'm... I, I just thought my dogs were dead. There are so, people who don't agree with the list of of li- the list of, of ten specific breeds. I don't care whether yeah. they agree or not. The the, the, yeah. the, the list is there. Pitbull yeah. is supposed to be on a leash. Yes, is supposed to be muzzled when they're out. And yes. this animal had neither. Not even None, a collar. Not even a, not even a collar. He was roaming free on his own. Now, he's not the only dog in this area that roams free on their own. And the owners that do that, that leave them out, now that I'm on this radio, shame on ye for leaving those dogs out because you're sentencing, the, sentencing them to death. No matter if they're a family little puppy or a big pit bull, all they need is one little interaction and that dog's life is gone and it's in, that's your fault. And I'm absolutely, like, whoever that owner is, you should be appalled and you should come forward and face the responsibility of, a, of that dog brutally attacking my dog and putting other people's lives at risk. And as all of this calmed down, Lorna, did anybody yeah. know where this moat had come from? They do, but I can't say it on air. So you know where he's from? Yes. Have I you do. reported it to the guards? I have. I reported it to Grand Police Station and they said they're going to make their inquiries, but there's only so much they can do when yeah. there's no collar, no microchip, and nobody will come forward to claim. But I, if Plus I see no that one's going to go near a dog like that except an expert handler. Exactly, and I I called the warden yesterday, but I, I, they were very busy, so I give them a call back now as soon as I get off the phone with you for some help as well, because I just don't like if that dog is left out again, he will get a child. It, it might not be tomorrow, it might not be next week, but he will get a child eventually. Well, I appreciate. Or some in my size, they could hurt, yeah. kill somebody. Oh, listen, too. if they latch on, there's now again yeah. pit bull owners will scream that I'm making this up. I'm not. I've read that if they latch on, they don't stop. Until no, they, they feel bone cracked. Exactly. Right. I will tell you. Their head is a ball of muscle. Men, six men, grown men, had to help me pin that dog down, and he was still latched onto my dog's thigh. And the man had to stick a crutch, a walking crutch, right through that jaw and pull his two legs back as the other men were pinning it down. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the, cr- the crutch had to go through the jaw to unlock the jaw, and that man screamed at me to run. Now you're Don't an experienced handler of your own dogs, I am. so you know you'll know that in most breeds of dog, there is a position in the back of the jaw yes. where they are forced to drop the grip. That doesn't exactly. work in a pit bull. No, no, he had to. It took him about three or four times to get that crutch in to widen the jaw, and once he he got it done the first time, and then my my dog, my female dog, I ran her. Um, uh, one of my friend's boyfriends, Anthony, thank you so much. He was walking up the street. I asked him to run down to my dad with, with Polly in case he went after him. And as he was running away, the dog attacked my male. Oh, God. 
and then they had to do it again. Yeah. So, Lorna, what what would happen? You're just back from Canada, like you said. Yeah. What would happen in Canada in this situation? It situa- wouldn't happen. It would not happen. Because you can say that with such certainty. With certainty, because the city have bylaws. They have bylaw officers, wardens that are around. They have a text system, an email system where you call and you say, this dog is, a, you take a picture if you can, or this dog is in this area and they're out within 20 minutes, 30 minutes to find that dog. They knock on doors. There's also fines. I have to register my dog every year. It's a $60 each dog. I have to register them, make sure that their microchip number is registered on them. And then you get a tag from the city that needs to go on their collar. So if a warden finds them, he can scan it and he knows where that dog is from. If the dog it doesn't have a collar, it's sent to the pound. There's um, a notice put out on Facebook and all, all those pages. Your dog has certain time. You need to come or else we're, if, it, if it's an aggressive dog, it's to be put down. Unfortunately, I absolutely hate that. If there's a sign that they can be um, rehabilitated, they will do that. But it doesn't. But also, and I'm going to say this, I, I love my area. Some people here just don't give mm. well, care. I know that you have information that you can't give us yeah. and I appreciate that you understand that. Yeah, of course. Um, but you have given it to the dogs, or to the guys? Yes, I have. The I have, yeah. Okay. The man who helped her helped you, by the way, I'm just seeing a note here, has just called in to say his advice is not to walk your dog in the area I'm not until ever the again. pit bull Never. is found. I'm going to but, go but then again, out to then, Blarney if I'm allowed. Well, well I very much appreciate that, that, kind, that kind advice. I'm thinking that the owner of the pit bull has won now. No, I doubt it because you know what will happen? He, he can never win because he's going to end up getting somebody killed. And how can you win if that's going to happen? If you have that mindset to leave your animal roam out like that, that you don't care about other people's children yeah. or other people's animals or other people in your area, in your neighborhood where you're supposed to love and respect your neighborhood, take care of it, take care of the people around and you will both excel in life. Okay. But they don't care. All right. Lorna, listen, I, I hope that Polly in particular, and what's the other dog's name? Cooper, Cooper, Cooper and Polly. Yeah. Cooper. I hope they'll both be okay and that you'll be they okay be. from the from the shock of it. I'll take a few weeks. Just give them love. I'm lying next to them now as I'm talking to you. So okay. <laughs> thanks so much. Mind yourself. Cheers, Lorna uh, and Polly and Cooper. Thanks. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. That's around the fair field the other evening. A pit bull roaming loose. No dog. Not even a little Jack Russell or a cavalier is supposed to be roaming loose, but this pit bull was roaming loose, no collar, no muzzle, no nothing, and just tore into her two dogs, two big dogs, uh, who can well handle themselves. What an ordeal. 1850-715-996. Kate saw on on TV that a pit bull locked onto a policeman and they had to use a lump hammer to get it off. In the end, they had to shoot it, though. They have some ferocious instinct to bite down. Their head is a ball of muscle. That's the thing. The very same thing happened to me in Mahan, says a caller. We were out walking our Westie. They are around and they are dangerous. My daughter and I, my daughter is a veterinary nurse or training to be, and she gives out stink to me over talking about dangerous dogs and talking about lists of dangerous dogs. She says, Dad, there are no dangerous dogs, just bad owners. We disagree. Absolutely we disagree. There's a list of 10 dogs supposed to be muzzled, and on a short, strong lead when they're out. And the pit bull wasn't, and Lorna had that awful experience. And she knows who has the dog, she knows whose dog it is, and she's reported it to the guards. 1850-715-996. You guys ready? We're driving, we're driving. The Big 
Drive Home, weekdays from 4 on Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure to join me weekdays on the Big Drive Home for the latest Cork traffic updates. I've got the best music mix. You can try your luck at the one second song and we put you in complete control of the music on the takeover. Hi Lorraine, can you play Kygo Whitney, Higher Love? I'd love to hear the new song from 1975. Hey Lorraine, just wondering if you could play any song by the script. I'll talk to you weekdays from 4. The Big Drive Home. With Ford Lease. Takes the hassle out of vehicle leasing. If you're a business, it's easy to budget with no unforeseen costs. Quartz 96. Quartz 96 FM. Yeah. Lots of responses coming in already to uh, COVID-19 and the latest changes, the, the law that isn't yet on fines and house parties and not wearing masks on the bus and refusing to wear masks in the shop. Fines are coming for that and fines are coming for house parties and organising house parties and, and all of that and maybe even jail terms for organising house parties. But they're not going to be law until next week sometime and we're heading into a bank holiday weekend. This message, level five's a load of rubbish, get on with it. It's either lockdown or it's not. It won't make a blind bit of difference. And then, contrast... If people start doing the right thing this time with the level five lockdown, we may be able to enjoy Christmas and also be able to go to hospital appointments, which are with our loved ones, which has been an ongoing incident. Mind you, later in the in the program, we are worried now. The, the publicans are worried over something that was said at a meeting yesterday. Uh, that when we come out of this on around the first week in December, it may only be level three in the pubs which means you're sitting out in the freezing cold, 15 of you, for a pint. May will still only be level three. That's obviously still to be decided, but we'll delve a little deeper into that later. 1850-715-996. There was a, a row yesterday. This time yesterday morning, if you cast your minds back. This time yesterday morning, we were in the thick of it with Oliver Plunkett Street and the surrounding area under between a foot and three foot of water, depending on where you were. And water, flood water, dirty, filthy, rotten flood water coming in like a torrent into the businesses and into the premises there and disrupting traffic and disrupting movement and and, and trade and commerce just two days before we go into a shutdown. And people were so upset to see it all happening again. And as you'll know, there is for years a scheme in place to try to build out, to try to adapt, to try to put in place uh, an alleviation scheme to stop what happened yesterday, to stop the water coming up the drains, to stop it flooding down into Oliver Plunkett Street, to stop it ruining businesses, to stop it destroying trade. There's a plan in place with the Office of Public Works for the last number of years and it's been objected to, serial objections, from a kind of an umbrella group calling themselves Save Cork City. Now, I'll get to them in a minute, but yesterday afternoon, the minister responsible for the Office of Public Works, Patrick O'Donovan, came down to Cork to see the damage for himself. Look, you might call it a photo call, maybe it was, but that's what ministers do, so let's not even go there for a sec. But he came down and he started to address the issue of the ongoing objections to the flood scheme. Look, everybody does have a right to object, and, and I'm fully supportive of uh, the, the legal processes that are in place. Um, but, like, 
the Office of Public Works, Cork City Council have taken on board an awful lot of the views that were expressed and we believe that the scheme is a far better scheme now because of the way in which we have engaged with uh, both through the OPW and the council, individuals and others. But there's a time and a place for everything and I think the time is now for, for this city to move forward and I'm appealing to people to think again to pull back and to consider withdrawing the judicial review that's preventing the scheme from going ahead. Because I will be here, maybe not in two weeks or five weeks or whatever, but I will be here again with the same story, facing the same traders, with the same outdoor council staff members, talking about another flood that will happen. Uh, and even if we got a green light to go ahead today, we are still years away from its completion. So I would appeal to people the climate is changing faster than the process that we can deliver this scheme. And I would appeal to them to consider withdrawing their objection and allowing us in partnership uh, to move forward. Look at the faces of those traders in Princess Street, in Oliver Plunkett Street, in Marlborough Street, all over Morrison's Island, right down to Patrick Street, and tell them that it's okay to have this dragged out for further because it's not. And there's a time and a place for everything. We've listened to the objections, We've modified the scheme. It is a good scheme. It is there to protect the city centre and it needs to be delivered. Various objections have been taken place. How far advanced would Morrison's Island be now? It would be advanced. It would be very far advanced. We do. Will be completed. It'll be completed. We were point one of a metre away from the 2014 level last night. And like, life is difficult for retailers at the moment. They woke up yesterday to not know was it a four-week lockdown or a five-week lockdown or what kind of a lockdown it was going to be. Their businesses are being crucified as it is. And now they have water, sewerage, feces that they have to brush out, stock that's contaminated. Like, wh where is this going to end in Cork? And like, save Cork City, we want to save Cork City too. No one has a monopoly and worry about this, the, the centre of Cork. But my biggest fear is that if we have a similar event like we had in 2009, will we have a loss of life? That is a real threat to the city centre here for people that are living in the low-lying levels of it. Like if, if we had a, a real surge like 2009 last night with strong winds, stronger than what we had, would we be having the same conversation here today? I doubt it. So I am appealing to those people who are, I suppose, have a legitimate concern. And they have a legitimate concern and I accept that. But we cannot keep going on a merry-go-round where this city is left for another 5, 10, 15, 20 years unsecured while the sea levels are rising, our climate is changing, the water levels coming down that river from the upland levels of County Cork is rising. We know all of this and we're standing here powerless. And enough is enough. John Hegarty from Save Cork City. Will you wait until after the commercial break to respond to that? Yes, thank you. Okay, cheers. 1857-15996. Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix is one year online. So to celebrate, we're giving away 500 euro to one loyal listener. 500 euro. For your chance to win, follow Cork's 96FM on Instagram now. Tag your mates, then share it in your Insta stories using the hashtag HitMixMoney. HitMixMoney. Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix. The home of non-stop, fresh, new music. Listen on your phone, smart speaker, or see 96FM.ie. Cork's 96FM. 
So Johnny Hegarty is a member of the Save Cork City Group. I think you're also an architect, Johnny. Is that right? Good morning. That's right, yeah. What's, That's right, what's your response? Just speak up a little bit for me there. Get a bit close to your phone. Yeah. What is your response to what Mr. Minister O'Donovan was saying? Well, um, uh, I mean, I, I understand that he's trying to protect the civil service and that he's got a problem on his hands and we are in a crisis in Cork in relation to blood protection and he's trying to find a solution. And so we can understand that. But the, the reason we don't have a solution is because of the Office of Public Works. And if the Office of Public Works or even the City Council wanted to put up defences on Morrison's Island, temporary defences that wouldn't require any planning application, they could do so uh, very quickly. And if it's about protecting people in the city centre and the businesses of the city centre, which we have huge sympathy with, um, uh, why isn't that being done? But his comment there, and it was, yeah, okay, he was prompted from behind by, I'm assuming, a city official, that the Morrison's Island project could be complete now if it wasn't for the serious objections. Well, uh, um, in 2004, uh, or in 2014, um, uh, the the, uh, tidal barrier was proposed, and that would be complete now. And if they pursued a tidal barrier in the morning, it would be complete uh, in twice the time of the wall scheme. The wall scheme is a very long-term scheme. It can't work fully until it's all connected together. And you're talking about 15 kilometres of structures in around the centre of the city. Um, there are huge concerns about the effect of the groundwater in the city. Even the idea was abandoned totally, very quickly in Venice because of that particular problem. Because you can't tamper with the groundwater of a city of historic buildings that, 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 that sit on timber piles. And the conditions that we have are very complex. And when you, when you attempt to dewater a city like Cork, all of that water has to be funneled out to sea. And uh, it, it rises the, the levels of water in the city. I mean, the, the thing is so complex. The fact that a small wall scheme is still being pursued when it's probably heading to over 200 million at, at present is... It, you know, it's of great concern to us. Just come back to what you said there, and I'll pursue the the the, the tidal barrier issue with yeah. in a bit more detail in a sec. But you said that they could put in temporary barricades without any planning problems. How would you go about that? Well, I mean, presumably uh, people knew that there was going to be flooding yesterday. The minister arrived down quite quickly, so with forecasting, you can know. Uh, what's going to happen. There are temporary um, uh, um, demountable barriers. They don't even have to be built in that could be used along the edges of that area. I mean, that's if that is going to solve any kind of problem for us. Our experts say that that won't solve the problem. And as people say, people are dealing with things coming up from underground. And so how is that going to be stopped? But certainly there are pumps that could be put in. We'd like to see an effort from the OPW or an effort from City Hall to try and do something. They say water comes in over Trinity Bridge. Why is no attempt uh, made to stop that? Mm. If it's really about protecting the people of the city centre who are on their knees because of uh, coronavirus. Well, Johnny, Johnny, anyway. you say it's about protecting the people of the city centre. Yes. There they were yesterday, mopping and slopping out again, while your objections sit in the High Court. So, really, you're not helping. We can't advocate, and the Minister shouldn't be advocating breaking the law. There have been already two uh, uh, cases that have um, highlighted the fact that OPW have 
uh, broken the law or, 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 or that they would break the law had they continued with what they were proposing. And, I mean, we have huge sympathy for people on the ground. We spoke to people on the ground yesterday. They said they didn't want to be used as pawns in this mm. and that they were waiting since the 1980s for proper proper they are uh, protection and why haven't they got it and 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 those that support well, us, one of the reasons they haven't got it johnny is yes. because of the ongoing rather un- unseemly row between the department of government charged with doing these things and your group well we've only existed since we since we saw what they were pro- proposing to, to like what is your part. objection to the to the scheme as it stands we don't other than the it. fact that people don't like walls we don't believe it'll work. We believe it'll devalue the city. The, the, the Chamber of Commerce in 2014 said the same thing. They said it w- that it would hamper our ability to, to, to attract investment and that it would degrade our city, that it would degrade opportunities for the future. There's no protection for 179 hectares of development land in the Docklands. It doesn't create any betterment for us. It's, 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 it's civil service. Uh, Dublin rule, uh, this is what we have for you, Cork, take it or leave it. And it just isn't good enough. We don't believe it will work. Uh, we we be, believe it's an abandoned technology. Uh, it's uh, Defence walls are good in small situations, but when you get up to a, a 200 million project uh, and groundwater conditions that are completely unpredictable and haven't been studied, and nobody wants to study them because... The results would say, do not build the walls uh, if they were studied. We have studied them, and that's what our conclusions are. And we, we just feel that the, the damage to the city would be ongoing for generations. The damage and, and to the city has been ongoing for generations. If your business is washed away or your home is washed out every winter almost without fail. And I can remember listening to people crying in 2009 and the same people weeping again in 2014. They're sick of this. They just want something done and they don't frankly care who does it. Well, we, we came on board to represent them, to represent the city and to represent those people. Why have we not got flood defence now? <laughs> because because why, you why keep objecting not, to the one that's up in front of them. That's, that's, not, up the, that's, people. Not, that, that's not true. That's not the reason. The real reason is failure of civil service to come up with a credible response. To you mean to agree with you? No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. All of this was planned. Like, what would a what would a tidal barrier cost? A out around Roach's point. A, 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 tidal, a, tidal, a tidal barrier at Tivoli would cost less than a hundred million. A tidal barrier at Little uh, Island would cost less than two hundred million. And we're unsure of the costs of, of other proposals because we haven't looked into them uh, that closely. Um, but by the time you had it all agreed and planned and go through the planning process. Because trust me, Johnny, if you went for a, a tidal barrier and you had the best tidal barrier ever designed, you'd still have someone object to it down the line. So you'd be entering another planning process, which means that in the, in, in the course of that process, more floods, more shops, more ho- more houses ruined. Well, you, I mean, it, it, it is true that, that these things take time, which is why we should be at this stage, because of the failure of civil service so far, we should be looking at doing something temporary to make sure that this doesn't happen again for the traders in the city centre. They've been completely at time. It's great to see that they're going to be financially supported. I hope that works out for them. But doing, At the taxpayer's pre- expense, of course. Well, it's at the taxpayer's expense, but presumably the teacher who's from Cork has looked at this and said, we have to help people. Yeah. And uh, Absolutely. But what I'm... 
just people are asking, Johnny. I don't know you from the from 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 the the, the Lord Himself, but I mean, do you live or work in the city? Well, uh, my family lives on, on the river's edge in the city, and we have property in the city, and I live in the city centre. Okay, I don't live. I don't live in a flood zone. Wait, okay, so you weren't affected by it. I personally wasn't. No. Does anyone belong to you get affected by it? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you know the damage it does. I do. I've swept. It. I've swept the water out. But, so I therefore, mean, I, I, and, and I'm I'm sorry to hear that you had to do that. But surely, the faster this can be done, then the better. The faster it can be done, the better. Yes, we don't know why it has taken so long, and we are. Extremely... But do you not accept that the objections, the serial objections, are one of the reasons? No, no, no. We're we're we're. We're, we're, we exist to try and get good flood defence for Cork to try and speed up the process, to, to try and highlight the process, to try and get the discussion out there and, and, and open. We can't understand how people haven't, weren't protected yesterday. We, can't, we didn't see any pumps on the ground. We didn't see... We did, we, I mean, it was almost as if uh, it, 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 it was... I mean, you, you mentioned a photo opportunity. I mean... What is, I said some people would describe it as some that. Some people might describe it as that, yeah. Okay. But I mean, it, I don't want to, 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 be, to be trading on the misery that people felt yesterday, um, you know, on this issue. I think it's extremely important now for us to think and in a, in a, very, in a, in a caring way about everyone in the city. All of the situations that people okay. are in at the moment is so uh, difficult. And we're all um, frightened in one way or another about our futures and uh, what's happening in, in relation to the pandemic. And this is just something else for people to have to deal with, which is, on top of that, is horrendous. So, 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 so um, okay. Someone so, arrives in who's a neutral observer and is listening to you and is listening to the OPW and says, all right, Johnny, it is now October 21st. You can take it as an absolute given that there will be another event like this sometime between now and next March or April. Hopefully not, nothing like his bad. What would you do to prevent that while we're waiting for it all to be sorted out in the courts? I would bring somebody in immediately um, who has the competence to, to protect uh, um, the city centre and I would do temporary works immediately that don't require planning. And then I would sit down in a, in a friendly manner and try and work out what's best for the future of the city. It should have happened 10, 20, 30 years Let's ago. Just listen again, though, to what the Minister said, because there has been this sitting down. I just want to play the first few seconds of this again, because I get the clear impression from the Minister that a lot of talking has been done. Let's just listen back. Look, everybody does have a right to object, and, and I'm fully supportive of uh, the, the legal processes that are in place. Um, but, like... The Office of Public Works, Cork City Council, have taken on board an awful lot of the views that were expressed. And we believe that the scheme is a far better scheme now because of the way in which we have engaged with uh, both through the OPW and the council, individuals and others. That seems to, sounds to me like you have had the round table. There hasn't been any round table. And in fact, if, uh, the, the alterations to the scheme that are apparently because people have spoken to them have just added another kilometre of demountable barriers to the scheme. And that makes the scheme much more likely to fail. This, this, it's not a safe scheme. Every extra metre of demountable barriers are 10 times more likely to fail than, 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 than permanent defences. And on top of that, every, every kilometre of permanent defences 
is is more likely to fail, you know, within its own length than 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 a, a relatively narrow tidal barrier, which has almost no likelihood of ever failing. I mean, that's a big that's a big guarantee that's a big guarantee to be given. Well, um, you can calculate it in different ways, but 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 our dams in this country have never failed, and you, the, the 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 lowest likelihood of failure is 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 four thousand. Uh, uh, you know, uh, four thousand. The odds are small, is what you're saying. Odds, the odds are very small, and mm. the, the odds of a tidal barrier failing are, are way smaller than that. I mean, it's a safe solution for the city. Mm. Um, the, the city. The, quick, this is about accountability. As quick well, question yeah. for you. D is asking this question on Twitter, and maybe it's maybe it's a silly question. I don't know. I'm yeah. not qualified yeah. to judge. Uh, Johnny wants a tidal barrier at the mouth of one of the busiest harbors in the world. Does Johnny not need a reality check? Well, we've spoken to the port of Cork, and the port is moving down to Ringeskiddy, and the the uh, even the, the even uh, even the the types of ships that come into the harbour are are uh, can be facilitated with um, I think it's a fifty metre wide opening, which is relatively small. It's nothing like Rotterdam, nothing that expensive. I think the one in Rotterdam is about the height of the Eiffel Tower, but the the, the, the ports all over the world have tidal barriers. This is, we're going to have to face this. You know that Passage West uh, um, was flooded yesterday. Yeah. You know, you know that West Cork, Rothcarby, yeah. they, they yeah. were flooded. This is an issue that's only going to get worse. And, and the climatologists that work with us um, are saying to us that the walls would be overtopped, uh, could be overtopped within 10 years of being completed. So we would spend the next... But is there a guarantee a tidal barrier won't? Well, a tidal barrier can be built much, much uh, higher and, and, and safer than, than those options. I mean, we can't have... Like how high would the tidal barrier be? I was looking out to Tivoli now. What would I be looking at? A big ugly wall across... Another wall across the river? No, it would be like the Lag and Weir in, 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 in Belfast. In Belfast, they have a tidal barrier. It's also called a weir because it doesn't allow the tide to go down fully uh, to, 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 to beautify the city. But it is a tidal barrier. And uh, yeah. it's, it's actually a, a visitor attraction. Okay. All right. You know what, Jenny? People will, will think what they think, but I just wanted to get your, your response to what the minister had to say yesterday. That's Johnny Hegarty. He represents Save Cork City and he is an architect. He insists that, first of all, the court case is valid and, and needs to be seen through to its end. And that's his view. The minister says withdraw it. They want a tidal barrier built either in Tivoli or maybe open towards Rocha's Point. Wherever you put it, they want to build a tidal barrier. They say it would be cheaper in the long run. They say it would work better in the long run. They say it would be prettier and better for the city in the long run. We'll see what happens, I suppose. 1850-715-996. There's a potential sinkhole situation in Passage. No one's doing anything about it. I think we spoke about that on the show a few months ago. Did anything get done about that? There were protocols in place for what the ESB does with the dam. It has to be operated with consideration for what would happen to the traders. Uh, there were plans for reclaiming land for a road from Little Island to Rochestown, says this call. It would alleviate a lot of the traffic problems, and then you could stop the tide coming in with a barrier in the navigation channel. It would be fast, cheap, and better than the Roaches Point alternative. And look, let's be fair to Johnny and, and his supporters and his, and his team. There are tidal barriers that work brilliantly all over the world. Work really well all over the world and there's no good logical reason why you couldn't do it here but if you're down mopping out your business or mopping out your home 
for the umpteenth time. You don't care what they do as long as someone does something and does it soon, I would suggest. Uh, Leo Bradker was on a conference call yesterday with business groups and one of the things that emerged from that conference call was a warning to pubs and restaurants or a prediction to pubs and restaurants that, hold on now, lads, this isn't going to be as sweet as you like when we come out of it in the first or second week in December because it's very likely that the best we'll come out of it is level three, which means in the freezing winter, we'll be sitting outside the pub, 15 of us, trying to have a drink. We won't be allowed in to have our bit of grub either. That's what's on the cards, it would appear, at the end of level three. Michael Donovan from the VFI. Michael, good morning. Good morning, TJ. That's not what you wanted to hear. Absolutely not, no. Um, look, the the conference call actually took place, PJ, Tuesday night. It was very late, but, um, but yeah, yesterday it was communicated to all our members. And um, I think the tarnished Leo Vradkar, his words were, he is not very optimistic that Level 2 would be achieved by Christmas. Um, that if we come out of Level 5 on the, the 1st of December, it will be a case that we'll jump back again from level five to level three uh, for a number of weeks. So in in our eyes, um, that's a disaster, really, because it, as you said, it's 15 people outdoors for a number of weeks. And look, everybody's well aware the month of December, a lot of us publicans and restaurateurs here in the city would depend on that month because nearly 25-30% of our entire yearly trade would be done in those four or five weeks leading up to Christmas and the New Year. Mm. And even the hardiest of souls are, are not likely to sit outside a pub in the middle of December, aren't they? Yeah, look, you can have the, I suppose... No, you can heat the you place You can have the best that. heating, you can have the, you know, windbreakers, everything, but it's probably not... The, the the nicest of experiences like you, you'll probably sit outside maybe for a half an hour, 40 minutes but you're not going to spend a night outside uh, going to a restaurant, eating your meal moving on to having a drink in a bar you're not going to spend a night out doing it uh, um, to be realistic and look, even with the numbers you know, 15 people sitting outside a bar or a restaurant um, the numbers really you know, don't stack up for uh, uh, you know to have a, a pleasant uh, city experience. I suppose for the month of December. I suppose we have to come back and and once again, though, Michael, bang the public health drum. This is in the interest of the public health and the spread of the virus. Yeah, look, it it is absolutely PJ. We've always said public health is the number one thing. Um, I suppose for the next six weeks, we have to hope and look. I suppose. The only bit of, I suppose, optimism that the Tanishta did give was that uh, in four weeks' time, if the um, if the numbers are uh, come down and the R rate comes down, there's a possibility that restrictions could be eased in four weeks for our trade. That's the only glimmer of hope that yeah. we have now, really, is that in four weeks' time that the restrictions are eased. And, like, we need to get to level two um, to get indoor dining and indoor for the pubs. So, like, if, if, if in four weeks the numbers are reduced, that we can get back to level three, it gives us a chance to get to level yeah. two maybe in mid-December. But um, he wasn't optimistic on that I, uh, from you know the discussions. So one, one of my frequent guests on the program uh, over the last few 
few months has been Professor Anthony Staines. Now, while the man has his detractors, he's one of these people who believes we should just keep keep going until we can try to drive it out of our society. But one of the things he suggests is when you go to a high level, like level five, which is very high, the highest, of course, that... You, you come out of it bit by bit, region by region, county by county, maybe town by town, so that maybe we might need level four or three in the city. But if you go down to West Cork or down to East Cork, you could easily drop to level two if the numbers regionally are low enough. That sounds like a strategy. Yeah, look, the, the tarnish just spoke of that actually uh, Tuesday night and it was conveyed to us yesterday. Regional reopenings rather than county versions may be possible but this needs to be discussed uh, when there is a better idea of where the infection rate is. Um, I suppose, look, again, it goes back to we all have a, a part to play over the next four weeks to try and get this rate down. Um, but, like, I suppose our, as I said, our hope is that in four weeks' time uh, that the rate is down, that we have the opportunity maybe to ease the restrictions to get us some bit of trade for the month of December. I suppose it's, it's God, to coin a much-used uh, phrase now, it, it is all in our own hands, Michael. It is. It's Look, when we closed uh, last Tuesday, two weeks ago, um, you know, I kind of said in a tweet, uh, it's, it's out of our hands now, it's in the hands of the government and effort, and I suppose in the general public and it is in the general public's hands now for the next four weeks if we all play our small part you know for us uh, in the pub trade there's 50,000 jobs at stake across the country there's 50,000 of us probably uh, going to be on the PUP come tonight again those few that were left working for the last two weeks but, um, but look if everybody plays their part hopefully some of those jobs can be salvaged and get back to work uh, in the month of December. Okay, Michael, leave it there for today. Thank you, Michael O'Donovan from the VSI, VFI and, of course, the Castle Inn in Cork City. Someone was joking last night, and it's not a joking matter, but it is a joke still. Someone said, hang on, and does that mean so that me 12 pubs of Christmas will not only be rewarded with a massive hangover, but pneumonia as well? Come on, like. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Here's one from Mick in Balifahan, just for you to think about before we move on to our next topic of conversation. On a clear night, he says, you can see six lights in the sky in a circle. They're very big. They're not like satellites. They're kind of small and weak, like out, light out. These are big and, and circ- they're in a circle. Does anybody know what they are? Says Mick in Balifahan. Anybody's seen them? Do call. The number to call, 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96 with the hashtag OL96. And if you need to contact us through Facebook, just message the Cork's 96fm Facebook page. But if you would please mark your message for the attention of the opinion line. Back to the new restrictions and the fines attached to them and this crazy situation of people being told or asked to do their own contact tracing. It's it's killing the scully stuff. That's all coming up. But first of all, the Ombudsman for Children has launched a report this week called Unmet Needs. Now, on the opinion line over the years, I have spoken with countless parents. I could fill entire weeks with parents of children with additional needs trying to get help 
trying to get an assessment of their needs so that they can get into the system and get the help that they want. I have had men and women, mothers and fathers, crying on this radio show because they can't get even access for assessment for the services that their child needs. And the Ombudsman for Children, Dr. Niall Muldoon, has compiled a report on this. And I think, Dr. Muldoon, there really is a problem. Those were your findings. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, indeed, you're, you're correct. I mean, I think it's 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 a diabolical situation that after so many years of, of uh, a statutory obligation to assessment of needs, which uh, many of your listeners will know is, is sort of where you assess a child where they're concerned about their development and the, and the stages they may have and trying to find a disability or what needs they might need at, at the earliest possible opportunity. There's a statutory obligation to that. And yet, that's been there since 2005, but now we find ourselves in a situation that um, probably only 8 to 9% of the children who apply for that get a, the assessment in a timely fashion. 8 to um, 9%? Correct. You know, and it's, it's a ludicrous and a dangerous situation because essentially, as your uh, listeners would have said over the years, it's actually, the assessment is only a stepping stone to get yes. into the services. So if you have a delay at that stage, and we've, we've highlighted delays with various cases from... Uh, 19 months out as far as five years you know and that's really what you're doing there is you're you're taking away the best golden opportunity for children to to develop and to get the opportunities to get the services which will reduce their disability and increase their ability to engage in the communities and in education and therefore to fulfill the potential so we what we've highlighted is this is essentially a serious and ongoing violation of children's rights mm. um, and we need to really get to, the, get to the bottom of this as quickly as possible. Talk me through some of the studies that you referred to in the report. There's some shocking yeah. stories in there. Yeah, I mean the, the one, there's one girl, little girl called Lucy who um, was lucky enough at, at six years of age which is quite old too, she did get an assessment of need and that assessment of need she's, she's a child with a autism spectrum disorder and mild general learning difficulties and communication issues. It was identified that she needed speech and language therapy and she also needed physiotherapy to build her muscle tone and she also needed to engage with a multidisciplinary team. That was 2015 PJ and now in 2020 she's 11 years of age and she still has not received the clinical services that were recommended five years ago. So you can imagine the amount of opportunities that have been lost for her, the opportunities for her to enhance her own potential and for her parents to engage with her to get her communication right. That's one of them. There's another one, um, a young man called Michael, a young boy called Michael, who when he was two years of age, his mother wrote looking for an assessment of need, um, was referred to the team and was told that there would be a long, significant delay, but that she could complain about it. And again, this is part of the system. The complaint then took at least 10 months to be to be dealt with and it was successful she was told that within 10 weeks she should have an assessment of need and service statement that didn't happen either so then she recommended she go to court so by the time she came to us she'd already been waiting 19 months um, you know so you're talking about again you're talking about that golden opportunity between sort of 2 years of age and 5 years of age which all the research tells you that's the time to get the services into those children to maximise the, the, out, the outcome of it and we aren't getting it. Um, yeah. we, 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 we had someone on the phone this week to us, uh, a four-year battle with the HSE. Yeah. And I, as I said in my introduction, Dr Muldoon, I'm, I'm talking to people here. My own son is on the spectrum, so this is deeply personal to me. Sure. You know, I, 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 I've watched parents, I've listened to parents weep on this, on this programme, just mm-hmm. trying to get in the door. 
Like, yeah. what can be done about this? What are your recommendations? Well, I suppose from our point of view, we're, we're pushing very high, hard that there's two things. First of all, as a, as a government, we now have a, a Tanisha and a Taoiseach who are both ministers for health, so they know the system very, very well. I'm pushing them to recommend it. At this moment in time, they're due to write a report to the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child, and that's going to be review the progress of Ireland in relation to children's rights. And more recently, they've also signed up to the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disability, and they're due to report to that by the end of this year. So both of them are international obligations that the state has to fulfil, and I would hope they will take those obligations and use it to, to change what they do and the way the system is done. They have... Um, taken up our, our recommendation to increase resources. So there's 7.8 million being put forward to clear the backlog of assessment of needs. Mm. And we're delighted to see that what, happen. What's the cause of the backlog? Is it lack of staff? Is it lack of money? What is it? It's, it's, a, it's certainly lack of resources and there's not enough staff there to do it. But however, you also find the ludicrous situation, PJ, and I'm sure you've heard this as well, that we actually have a statute, the government have a statute obligation to do this. But yet, if a, if a parent has the money and maybe some of them take credit union loans to go to the high court to force the government to fulfil their own statutory obligation, mm. and the government will fight them as far as the high court they and will. spend money on that. And then, they'll, and then the parent will win. And the parent will win anyway, but what they've done again, they've delayed it, and that's, not the parent, and that's only to get in the door. So we have to find a system that works to put the child at the centre of it and make sure that the child's rights are the real focus for everybody involved. And that involves hiring more speech and language, more occupational therapists, more psychologists, and making sure that the system works. So as, as you can see, we currently have a system that fights against the child in order to protect the limited resources that they have available instead of spending the last 15 years so the obligation has been there for 15 years enhancing it and growing the number of resources that they have available to make it easier for children because again our parents have enough on their plate and you know this personally to deal with a child with all the services available to them rather than having to fight just to get into the services and that's what we need to get to where the, the patient or the child is at the centre of the decision making and the centre of the of the, mm. the way the system is run at the moment the system is run to keep the children out so that they don't get overwhelmed in the system and they've had 15 years to plan to incre- increase the number of resources needed and that hasn't happened but we really need to play catch up now and that's something we've been pushing for we also want to change the legislation so that there's a definition of, of disability at the moment the definition is very much medical centred and we want to change it so that it's a, it's a child or person centred definition of disability which the UN Convention on Rights of the Child or Rights of the Person with Disability talks about disability in terms of the barriers that society puts in front of a child or a person so that they're not defined by the person's um, disability it's defined by the society's inability to enhance the child's equal opportunity and that's the definition we want to get put forward. And again, what that does then is it puts the onus back on the government and on the state to build an environment that makes it easier for those children to have an equal opportunity with their non-disabled siblings and friends. You've, you've been ombudsman now for a few years, Dr Muldoon. How optimistic are you that anything you're saying here today will be acted upon? Well, I suppose I, I'm, one of the things we have to retain is optimism, but I suppose... The good thing, the good signs are that the new government have created um, uh, a minister for disability who's now going to go into the Department of Children. So there will be a lot more cohesion between those two sections, those two departments. They're bringing with them a budget of 2.2 billion euros. So I, I would see that as a really positive step forward. There's also now an Erectus Committee specifically on disability. So I think there's a, that, that creates a, a sort of an oversight um, 
body that'll, that'll ensure that the Minister for Children and Disabilities will now have to do his job and follow through on it. So there are, there are very positive signs and I, I'm, it'll be my job to keep pushing this over the next sort of 6, 12, 18 months okay. to make sure that they, they do follow through on the recommendations we've made. Well, and I'd like at some point to speak again and, and see what has happened since we spoke today and what has happened mm-hmm. in response to your report. Yeah, I would be happy to do that. Hopefully it'll be, it'll be positive uh, progress, but again, we'll, we'll, we'll keep pushing on it uh, from our point of view, PJ. Okay, thank you very much for your time today. That's the Ombudsman for Children, Dr Niall Muldoon. The report just literally tears a new one for the system. It really does. It outlines incredible difficulty for parents and for children just getting in the first rung of the ladder. Here's hoping something will change. Sadly, um, the cynical, sceptical old me will continue to advise parents to get a degree, and not in college, a degree in being a pain in the arse, because that's one thing you need to get something for your child when your child has additional needs in our country. Here's hoping that report will will change something. 1850-715-996. There are queues. Seeing a picture here. There are th- this takes me back to one morning in June. Was it a Monday morning in June? Where I drove down to Penny's on my way into work and the queue snaked all around from the front door down that little street. Is it Morgan Street? Is that little name? I'm not too sure. That little street. Down that little street. Uh, Socially distanced as best they can, to be fair, and around into Oliver Plunkett Street, into the back door of Penny's and beyond. I may tell you now, tis there again. 1850-715-996. Kate says, I worked with children with special needs for many years. Assessment makes all the difference. Once they get a bit of help, they're sharp, witty, intelligent, and they buy and sell you. My daughter was waiting three years for an assessment. They had a multidisciplinary report. For a while, we had a full-time SNA last year, but now because of cutbacks, our daughter will get help two out of 30. Two out of 30 hours per week. Lorraine, my daughter has just said her need of assessment, has just had her assessment of needs. She was meant to be done last year because she was 11 when they decided to assess her. She was finally done on Monday. It was done by a private company. She started secondary school in September and is 13. Hopefully, we'll know by the time she goes back after the midterm what she needs. 1850-715-996 just on the pubs and level 3 and all of that because we're going to go back to COVID now. Not being smart PJ but it's a lot better to be sitting outside a pub in the cold than being on life support in ICU. Surely I appreciate as regards the financial side of this but health is wealth says Tom. And Tom of course you're right. Of course you're right. Shivering over your pint is a lot less of an ordeal than trying to survive on a ventilator. The small street where Penny's queues is Robert Street. Thank you. Thank you, Fergal. Robert Street, not Morgan Street. 1850 715 
food crimes that people commit. Okay, whatever you do, never take a bite out of someone else's burger. Absolutely not. You know, when you offer somebody a slice of pizza, but the slice is stuck to another slice and they take two slices? I've seen that. Death penalty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when somebody offers you crisps, you don't go deep. No, you don't. You don't rummage. You don't go deep. Taking a piece of naan bread without your granny's permission. <laughs> Don't do it. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96 FM. Now, in announcing the Level 5 restrictions uh, earlier this week, they come into effect, by the way, at midnight tonight. The Taoiseach, Michal Martin, said that they would introduce the concept of the bubble, the social bubble. Now, this is an idea that they... It's, it, it was first mooted, or first put into effect in New Zealand. Hey, where else? Well, they've done a great job. You can have one person who's on their own, can have someone else visit them from outside their home for certain needs, obviously. And you can form a bubble. Someone who lives alone can form a bubble with somebody else. We were talking yesterday morning to Rachel, who will be forming a bubble with her best friend, so that between them, who lives quite nearby, and they're both single moms, and um, they, they can mind each other's children and take care of the inevitable thing that problems that will arise. They'll form their bubble. Others who live alone might form a bubble with the family across the road. It'll help in the case of mental health. It'll help in the case of loneliness. It'll help in all sorts of particular needs. It's a New Zealand idea. June Shannon is a health journalist, the Irish Times. June, good morning. Hi, good morning, Peter. How are you? isn't, Isn't it great that we've waited nearly eight months to rob New Zealand's good idea? Yeah, but it's great that it's here because it's going to be um, a huge help to people who have been isolated or um, at increased risk of loneliness because, as you know, the um, severe lockdown we had in March and April had a massive impact on people's mental health in particular. So it's it's very welcome. Outline exactly what it is. You proved better than me, I'd say. (laughs) So a support, well, it's either called a social bubble or a support bubble. Um, and basically, it's to help anyone who's at risk of isolation. So anybody at all who's living alone, what you do is basically you choose another household and that household is almost becomes your household. So both of you are seen as an extended household. Um, so you can act and live as if they are your own household. So it's for anyone who's living alone with children under the age of 18, anyone who's living alone at all. Also, if you're sharing... Parenting, uh, parenting or custody arrangements. If you live with an adult that you care for, so for example, an adult who um, you know may have dementia, um, and then if you live by yourself and you have a carer, you can also form a support bubble with another household. And do, can you select the household yourself, or are there certain guidelines? Like if I live alone and I happen to be very friendly with the family over the road, can I form a bubble with them? Do I have to get permission? No permission, you just choose your own, you choose whichever household you would like to act as your bubble. The only thing is that they can't be in a support bubble with anybody else. Right. So it's an exclusive relationship. 
if you choose the family across the road, they have to stay with you as their support bubble. They can't form a bubble with anybody else outside of that. Um, and then also, the government have asked us to try and make sure, if we can, that our support bubble is within the five kilometre limit. But if, if they're not, it doesn't matter. You can't form a mm. bubble with someone who's outside that limit. That's going to be a problem in rural areas. Yeah, so it's not it's not a, a restriction. You can form a bubble with someone outside that five k limit, and it also doesn't matter how big that household is that you that you form a bubble with. So if someone is living alone, for example, um, and they want to form a relationship a bubble with a family, it doesn't irrespective of the size of that family, it doesn't matter. No. One question that's written, and this is a good one: my, my brothers and sisters and I mm-hmm. take it in turns to visit Dad three or at least once a week how mm-hmm. are we fixed so with that i would say choose one of them so choose one uh, sibling to visit dad and um, and keep it within that one person or that one family so dad makes a sort of for a social bubble with one of his children and their extended family i wouldn't mix it up yeah yeah the whole thing is to try and keep if you think about it is to try to keep contacts as low as possible so Therefore, it's just one other household exclusively. And then in that situation, I would advise them to choose one sibling to make to do the visiting for the next six weeks. Uh, where did this come from? Was it because the government sort of realised that in the first time round, people living alone were, were cut off and, and very isolated? And we discovered that through the community call network, just how isolated people were. Yeah, it's come from that. It's, I mean... We all know how hard lockdown was for everybody. You know, everyone had their own individual challenges, no matter what your situation. But people who were living alone, um, people with severe enduring mental illness, people who had, you know, who had no support at all, couldn't even have someone in the front door and no social interaction. It was particularly difficult for those people. So this is a way of, of trying to make it easier. And I think it will have a huge impact. What if somebody in your bubble or you yourself what mm. if you become a close contact or what if you develop or pick up corona yourself so if if somebody in so you now as a, as a support bubble, bubble that's your household so it's like everything else if a member of that bubble develops symptoms of covid they have to self-isolate straight away and phone their gp and then all the other members of that bubble must restrict their movements immediately um. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, and then it, according to the government advice, if they met a symptomatic person two days before and up to 10 days after the symptoms started. Mm. So um, it's the exact same for, for, so you obviously will be a close contact if someone in your bubble has developed symptoms. Mm. This, other than regular everyday loneliness, this could be a, 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 some help to people suffering with their mental health as well. You know, loneliness can lead to depression, can lead to all sorts of things. It can be a help there, can't it? Oh, it's a huge support there. You know, it's, you know, apart from the, the not apart from because it's, it's very it's very serious. If someone is isolated, it will impact their mental health. No social interaction. You'll get lonely. You'll get down in yourself, and it's very hard to get out of that. Um, and apart from that, you've also got people in the in the community already who are living with severe severe and enduring mental illness as it is. So these restrictions on top of that will double down. You know their struggle, and it could be even more challenging for them. So this is really, really welcome. Okay. All right. Leave it there, June. Thank you very much. That's June Shannon, uh, freelance medical journalist writing for the Irish Times. Form a bubble. Pick a family that you're close to. You live alone. Let them be your family for the next six weeks. You can interact with them, go to their house. They can come to yours. That's how the bubble works. Thank you, Jacinta Ardern, for another great idea. And with regards to three or four different family members visiting mom or dad, choose one. Uh, which will be easier said than done, I guess. 1850-715-996. Now, coming up, that big story in the newspapers and on the radio this morning about people who received a positive COVID-19 test last weekend are now going to be asked to carry out their own contact tracing. You know, imagine the phone call. Uh, hello, this is Creveen Branagh to Pera Moraku from the HSE, Mrs. Murphy. Yes, yes. Mrs. Murphy, that test was positive, I'm afraid. So you have the coronavirus. Uh, you want to isolate yourself now and, and take paracetamol for the temperature. And mind yourself, if you get any sicker, ring the doctor. And 14 days now, you should be okay. You should be grand. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry to bring the bearer of bad news. M- M- Mrs. Murphy, would you do me a favour? Would you also... Um, Ring your friends and, and tell them and and see what they go for a test as well because um, we, we're a bit run over here in the contact centre and we, we need... What? Gobshite came up with that idea. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Triscoll may be closed right now, but it will reopen with two beautiful classic music concerts courtesy of the Esposito Quartet. You can find out more details on tickets and upcoming shows at triscollartscentre.ie. Access all areas. The Pet Shop Boys Live at the Marquee Show has been rescheduled for 2021. Tickets for the original date this summer remain valid for the new show, which will now take place on June 23rd next. Further details on other Live at the Marquee shows can be found at aikinpromotions.com. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. 
Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96 this is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96 FM. I turned on the radio this morning to catch the early morning headlines, and I heard that people who received a positive COVID 19 test at the weekend would be asked to carry out their own contact tracing. The HSE is to send a text today to confirmed cases, which can then be forwarded to their close contacts. And 537 of these people are in Cork. Due to the high numbers of cases, the HSE is asking some people to alert their own close contacts. Dr. Nick Flynn, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. I nearly fell off the stool when I was eating my breakfast and I heard this. What's going on? Uh, well, I suppose what's going on, PJ, is that we're seeing the um, hopefully temporary uh, implosion of the contact tracing system. So contact tracing has been overwhelmed. Um, and the HSE are telling us that it, it's due to a spike in cases over the weekend. But in reality, on the ground in general practice, we have been seeing uh, close contacts reaching out to GPs over the last number of weeks. So this system has been under pressure for weeks um, and the, the contact tracing system hasn't been able to keep up with the supply and demand that was required by parts of cases, I would say, for three or four weeks. But certainly it hit a critical stage over the weekend where there was between two and two and a half thousand newly diagnosed parts of cases, which the contact tracing system was unable to contact trace. Um, and so these people are now going to over the next day get a second text message advising them to contact trace themselves, which is going to be incredibly difficult for people. Um, uh, and then those people who are the contacts are going to be asked to contact their GP. So it's an incredibly difficult situation. Um, uh, it requires like, contact tracing uh, and, and the public health doctors, the public health system is highly nuanced, highly specialised. And even to understand what is a close contact, uh, it's not, I mean, it, if you read it, it seems quite simple, but it does actually require, uh, I suppose, some user knowledge, you know. So, And will um, people get a briefing on, on who they should be calling? I, I haven't seen the wording of the text message, um, but I presume it will, it will tell them. I mean, for the listeners, PJ, uh, like a close contact is somebody you spend over 15 minutes of face-to-face or conversational type contact within two metres, um, and be that indoors or outdoors. So if you if you spend more than 15 minutes of face-to-face contact in 24 hours with somebody who's a known positive case, indoors or outdoors, you are a close contact. If you live in the same house as somebody who's a positive case, uh, irrespective uh, of the first point, you're regarded as a close contact. And then a more difficult one, if you're sitting within two seats of somebody on public transport, you are a close contact. Um, and then there's a final one, which is very vague, which is uh, over two hours in an indoor space with someone. Um, and again, that depends on the size of the indoor space. And you can see so from those points, PJ, yeah. that people will find it difficult themselves to decide who uh, their contacts are not. Sometimes it'll be very obvious people in your house. Sometimes it'll be very obvious because maybe you've had lunch with somebody or you've, you know, you've uh, gone for a walk with somebody uh, and not wearing a mask and, and, and they're clearly close contacts. But there will always be cases which are difficult. The other thing that, that could be difficult is where somebody says, you know, that they were with a group of people 
the group of whom planet and they don't know everybody that was in the group yeah. uh, and clearly that, that shouldn't be happening but it will happen and so um you know the the, the contact uh, tracing is going to be very difficult and very challenged and look it's not ideal it's so this this solution is better than no contact tracing yeah but it's but it's not ideal i can see any number of problems with it particularly data protection gdpr i mean if i get a call to say my test was positive well, that's my business between me and 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 the and the HSE. If someone, under normal circumstances, would a contact tracer tell someone, "Oh, PJ Coogan is positive, and you're a close contact." No, they no, wouldn't. absolutely not. No, no. absolutely not. PJ, you're, you're absolutely correct there. That uh, in in the traditional uh, contact tracing system, um, if uh, if John Murphy is positive. <clears throat> the, he'll get a, a phone call telling him he's positive, and in that f- initial phone call, they'll, uh, the, the contact tracer will also take some information about John in relation to is he at risk from uh, so age and coexisting conditions, and then he'll be asked to think about who's close contacts were, and then he get a second phone call where he'll be asked to give the, the name and phone numbers of his close contacts. But uh, when those close contacts are being informed that they are close contacts they won't be told that it was John Murphy who was yeah. the positive case. You're dead right. And I suppose it's not so much a GDPR issue, though, because if somebody is a positive case and they elect to tell somebody that they're positive, they're, they're disclosing their own information. Well, well that's just it, that, Nick. Yeah, the problem is they, yeah. they won't. Exactly, they won't. And exactly, they won't. Yeah. Like, the yeah, embarrassment no, no. of it in the, con- in, in the current, you know, where we live with people watching each other through twitched curtains and all that, people are embarrassed by it. The other thing, yeah. too, is a contact tracing professional, someone trained and doing it, they'll do it immediately. Whereas John Murphy gets a call to say, can you notify your, your contacts? Uh, that's grand. I'll ring them tomorrow. So by tomorrow, some of them have gone to work. Some of them have gone to another family house. For sure. And, and of course, um, we, we can't, I suppose, forget that it is upsetting news to be told that you're uh, a close okay. contact. So, so I, I, I've had to make those calls myself. And the immediate... Uh, I suppose concern is for the patient themselves that they're not unwell uh, so that's the first thing but then the patients themselves have issues that are both personal medical issues family uh, risk issues and then work issues so people who are positive cases are, are very upset quite often because it means that they can't go to work for two weeks you know that they, 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 they ask about I was with my elderly parents for 10 minutes you know maybe delivering furniture or doing something else at the weekend um, you know what does that put them at risk you know um, the stress and the fear and so, of that so, is crazy so, so, so there's a lot of things go on for the, for the, for the, for the for positive contact that that might distract them from actually the other contacts they may have how long is this likely to continue for Nick they say it was just last weekend and bearing in mind over 500 people in Cork affected are they hiring more tracing staff well, I, I think that's where the, I suppose the, 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 the failure in health policy and the information of health policy over the last eight months has been, PJ. I mean, I, I would say that it, it is absolutely unbelievable that eight months into the pandemic we're finding that we have a shortage of flu vaccine supplies going into the winter season in what was likely to be the, the highest demand flu vaccine uh, season that we had, the most important flu vaccine season that we had. And that at the start of the pandemic, we were talking about... Uh, a team of contact tracers in their thousands, like I think it was 5,000 people that were talked about, but we actually have I think four to 500 contact Gosh, tracers. A tenth um, of what we were told. Yeah, and 
and, and over the last number of weeks, we have seen uh, HSE employees who were in contact tracing, who were like in the early stage of the pandemic, who had been redeployed to contact tracing, being moved back to their original posts, which is absolutely fine and necessary because non-COVID care has to continue and all those pathways have to be, have to be uh, like held in high regard as well. But they're not being backfilled clearly, so that the contact tracing system is under an awful lot of pressure. It's crazy, Nick. Just something else I want to bring up with you. We haven't talked about the pandemic for a while now, and I know that you and I in the past have spoken about vaccines and childhood vaccines and and the concept of herd immunity. There, there's an amount of quackery out there at the moment, and I'm using the word unashamedly about herd immunity that you just let this rip through the community, and those who can take it and deal with it will be fine. They'll recover from it. Is without the uh, without the presence of a working vaccine, is that mad? Well, I, I, I'd say a couple of things about that, uh, TJ. That one that we, we're unsure of what level of immunity infection uh, infers on somebody. So there, there have been reported cases of people who who have had COVID nineteen more than once, uh, and so we don't we're not sure that having having confirmed COVID nineteen protects you from future infections. Uh, it is logical thing that it probably will. We can't be sure of that. The other thing is that to, to leave us run through the the, 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 the community, the, the, the real, I suppose, public health problem, a real health problem for the health system is that that runs the risk, which is what we saw in, in Bergamo in northern Italy in March, of overwhelming our health system. Uh, we can see from the advice given by Tony Hool and, and Nessus over the last number of weeks that they're acutely aware and concerned about the capacity of the health system going into the winter flu season, which is where we are now. Uh, that where the health system is like traditionally overstretched anyway, that any additional stresses on that system from, from COVID-19 is likely to tip it into, again, a very difficult situation where we can't deal with the demand. And just this morning, we're getting reports from Belgium where their health system is at that stage and where doctors are reporting that they anticipate in the coming weeks having to make difficult decisions about who gets access to ICU care and who doesn't. Now, we're not at that stage in Ireland, but I do think that we have to be very careful in, in picking health policy that we have regard for the capacity within the system. Okay, Nick, I think that's the answer. The herd immunity argument just doesn't hold any water at the moment, at least. Thanks very much, Nick Flynn, uh, from my GP, my Cork GP dot IE, For goodness sake, they, they said they'd have 5,000 contact tracers. They have four to 500, a tenth of what they said. It's overwhelmed last weekend. And now we've people having to make their own contact tracing calls. We know that when we go into level five tonight, it will be the the bones of 10 days before we even get a sniff of a change if not more and that other we're going to have huge numbers over the next week or 10 days so are we going to be facing people next weekend having to do their own tracing and their own contact tracing oh you just have to give up sometimes Someone wanted to know if they could visit a grave outside of the 5 kilometre limit the answer is an absolutely yes it's worth going through the lists of what is deemed to be essential travel, actually, because after midnight tonight, we'll all need to know to shop for essential items, obviously, to travel to and from work where your, vo- your work involves an essential service and work that can't be done at home, to attend a medical appointment and to collect medicine and other health products, for vital family reasons like caring for children, caring for the elderly or vulnerable people, for those who live alone as part of an extended 
household bubble, effectively. Uh, but there are no social family visits. That bubble isn't so that you can go party with the lads across the road. It's purely to be part of a family unit for you. To attend a wedding or a funeral. Weddings, 25 people. And yesterday they changed their mind on the funerals. That's now 25 people. And I think, you, you, yeah, you can go into another county for a wedding. I, I remain to be to check that one. Wedding or a funeral, you can go into another county. And for farming purposes, etc., or to visit a grave. You can indeed visit a grave. Now, some smart arses are going to decide that their granny is buried down in County Kerry and they're going to want to go down to see her grave and spend the weekend on the piss down in Castle, Castle Gregory. You know they're going to do it. But at least for people who genuinely want to go and visit a grave, well, they can do that. The new Facebook page, uh, Chalk Vera Cork. Um, and I got an invitation the other day to, to like it, as you do on Facebook, and I did. And it's, uh, it's set up by the people in uh, Brewery and Coonwira, and our old friend Michael Gearan is head, neck and tail of it, as I thought he would be. Michael, good morning to good you. Good morning, PJ. Good to talk to you. And you, as always, sir. There's a specific purpose to this Facebook page. Yes, I suppose, PJ, having come through the, the lockdown in March and and witnessed the difficulties that that lockdown caused for the substance-dependent community, both in active use and in recovery. Um, we, When we saw this second lockdown coming, um, we decided we needed to do something. Um, and it's only a very small gesture, but it might be significant for somebody to enable people to have human contact with people who understand what it is like to have an alcohol or drug or gambling problem. So to that end, we, we set up the Chalk for a Cork Facebook page. Um, and the idea of it is that along with a phone line at Chalk for the Western Road, which will be men 12 hours a day, seven days a week, um, if somebody sends a DM to the page, it will get that DM will be go directly to our staff and the page is totally administered by staff members of ours. So you're so, saying a 24-hour helpline, Michael? A 12-hour helpline, yeah. Nine to nine a.m. to p.m., seven days a week, plus any DMs we get to the page, we will respond to. Now, there's probably not a lot we can do except establish human contact with these individuals um, because of the restrictions and so on. But one of the things that came out of the last lockdown that service users reported to us was the lack of human contact and the lack of information was a difficulty for them and also loneliness. So I suppose we want to try and keep the lines of communication open yeah. to people that might be vulnerable and let them know that they are not alone and we are there to support them insofar as we can in this difficult time. I think we, th- we talked before about the, the difficulty in maintaining one's sobriety or staying away from the gambling online during the last lockdown. A lot of people struggled. A lot of people struggled, and one of the reasons they struggled, PJ, was the bedrock of any recovery program is human-to-human contact, be that in a professional counselling situation or through peer support groups like Alcoholics Anonymous and so on. And lockdowns, even though they are necessary, effectively cut off that human contact. And some people we found as well struggled greatly with the technological things like Zoom and that kind of stuff. So, like, they were ruled out. They may not have had the equipment or they may not have had the know-how to operate these platforms. And I suppose our objective with this Facebook page is to try and eliminate as many obstacles or blocks in the system that we can where a simple DM 
to a Facebook page will get will go directly to a trained counsellor who will then make contact that person back hopefully and then if they need peer-to-peer support or anything connect them up with the appropriate people. Are you able to give me the number? Yes, I can give you the phone number, PJ. The page is Chockvera Cork. Yeah. And that's very important that they put the Cork bit on because there are other Chockveras. Um, and the phone number is 021-427-4378. And right. I'd appeal to everybody listening to please like and share the page because the more it's spread around, the more likely people are to be able to find it and get in contact with it. Well, over the next few days, we'll be reinstating our list of emergency numbers uh, that we used to call out during the first lockdown. So we'll certainly add that one to it. Just before I let you go, Michael, on the subject of it comes up every second day as we head into lockdown and we try to deal with this pandemic. Close the off licence, shut them down, ban the sale of alcohol. Would it cause more more problems than it would solve or should it be considered? Well, I don't think they need really. I mean, alcohol abuse was certainly a factor in the last lockdown. But I think closing off licences or restricting their, their opening hours would be a bridge too far because after all, um, alcohol is a legal substance in this country. And I think we would be better off the people that are saying that we should close these things would be better off to try and put out a message there of responsible use rather than prohibition because prohibition of anything really doesn't work. So I think it would be too much. I think people certainly need to look at their drink consumption during things like lockdown and be careful around that and moderate it. But I wouldn't be in favour of closing off licences at all. Michael, as always, a uh, joy to have your wisdom on the opinion line. Thank you very much. That's our friend Michael Gearan from Coonwira. Uh, Chuck Vera Cork is the Facebook page. If you need help, a qualified counsellor will come back to you. And the number, if you need it, we'll be giving out these numbers. We're going to reinstate that list and update that list. But it's one of the first ones to be added to it for this second lockdown. If you need help uh, with drinking or addiction or gambling or anything like that, 021-427-4378. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 13 hours, just less than 13 hours ahead to the introduction of Level 5 restrictions. They come into force at midnight and with those restrictions in place, it's now more important than ever to keep it local. So here at Cork's 96 FM, we're asking you to make every effort to shop locally, be it in store for essentials or online or click and collect. A thriving local economy, we know this, it's good for everyone you'll save time and you'll support local jobs. Thank you for keeping it local from everyone at Cork's 96 FM. It's proudly supported, of course, by McCarthy Insurance Group, where you can shop local for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. 185715996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 0833969696. Email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Somebody wanted to know how to spell the Facebook page that uh, Michael Gearan was talking about, Chachwire, T-E-A-C-H-M-H-U-I-R-E, Chachwire. And the number, again, in case you need it, it's open from nine till nine, seven days a week. If you need help from an addiction counsellor, qualified counsellor, 021-427-4378. Now, it's, like I said, 13 hours or less than until the restrictions come in. And it's a busy, busy, busy day in many, many shops and businesses trying to get the last bit of business done. 
And the hairdressers have been completely inundated for the last two days. We were speaking to Valerie. I'm losing the track of time now. I think it might have been Monday. We were speaking to Valerie from Icon on on Monday and you're you're going like the clappers to try to get everybody you can taken care of I think by tonight what time are you closing Val good morning hi Peter how are you thanks for having me on um, so yeah we'll be closing again at around 10 o'clock tonight um, we've been doing 7 to 9-ish 10 for the last well since Monday um, and it has been a challenge it's been it's been a, a serious challenge for the simple reason is it's Everything has to be worked like military precision, you know, on an hourly basis. So we need to know, you know, from like before we head into the day, how many clients we have per hour, you know, how long their, their treatment is going to take. Do they go into the second hour? If so, then that has to be calculated so that we're staying within, you know, the capacity level at all times. What is the capacity in your salon? Well, with us, because we're after on Monday, thanks to, like, it's amazing the way people just rally around and help these, you know what I mean, in times like this. Um, DOL brought in dividers again for us, so it just it allowed us to bring in a few more. So at the moment, our capacity level would be we have 12 sections, and we normally take it at nine. nine. So yeah, and that's but every single section is separately divided, if you know what I mean. I think that in in the profession, Valerie, you're a little bit, and I'll use the word carefully you're a little bit sore at having to shut down again given the the way you've been so careful in the last couple of months do you know pj it's like everybody else at the very like obviously you you know how sore i was you spoke to me on monday and i was i was very i was frustrated at the communication that was being given to us and you know and the delay in getting the information to us so that we could get organized and prepared um the first, like, the annoyance for me is that I think that we should be an essential service for, for people's mental health. Like, even people who are afraid of being on their own could, could have picked up the phone and gone in and got their hair done and had some kind of human contact and communication. You know what I mean? So, and of all of the industries, like, we're all trying our best, but we are absolutely obsessed with you know, keeping within the, the restrictions and cleanliness and... Sterilisation, you know, soap and water. We everything. were told since day one, soap and water, soap and water, soap and exactly, water. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, like, we've been so good. Our industry are just... We've just... We've, they've been amazing, you know? So, mm. yes, I feel that, like, we're a little bit hard done by, by not allowing us to stay open. But in saying that, we've just got to get on with everybody yeah. else you know, and dig deep and, you know, hopefully we'll be out the other side and we'll be able to have a great Christmas. Something else that happened the last time and we did talk about it and we had lots of sure, sightings of it going on. I even heard about gazebos being put up in back gardens. We had underground hairdressing going on and for 50 quid you'd get what you wanted and it was going on right, left and centre. We knew about it, we were told about it. Here you were at home doing what you were told mm-hmm. and someone else uh, operating, if you want, on the black market. That'll happen again. You know, PJ, I don't know what, if it will or not. Do you know what I mean? But the simple reason is I think everybody is very aware now, particularly with, like, with the house parties and stuff like that. Everybody is now looking. They're aware. Now we have a timeline. It's either four to six weeks. You know, and I think all our clients you know, will hold off. You know, it's not like that it was... The last time, two weeks, and it went on to, I don't know how many weeks, it went on endlessly. There was desperation there. I think 
there won't be the same amount of desperation. And I think people are very good now at, you know, wanting to do the right thing. So hopefully... Here's hoping. Here's here's hoping. hoping. Yeah. But what's also frustrating, I think, is that, like, you're, you're closed down, but we can still have a GAA championship. I know. I know. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of things about this whole scenario that don't make sense. Do you know what I mean? And really, like, if you sat down and thought about it, it is a little bit crazy. But, you know, we can only, I suppose we can only do what we can do. Yeah. You know? You mentioned the social aspect of it. And one man, hold on there for me, Val. One, one man who talks about this all the time. And some of, some of your clients, Joe Byrne, you might be the only adult they speak to in the course of a day. And exactly. here you go. Here we go again, Joe. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, deja vu, here we go again. Um, definitely, um, PJ, certainly there is some people that the whole um, outing would be coming to the hairdressers. Yeah. Literally, um, I, I just find it very sad. Today is a very sad day in the salon. Now, we're very busy. We're walking up to 12 o'clock tonight, and I apologise to people we can't get in. But there's a huge sadness. Um, I was quite angry at when we were closed down. I was expecting it. But eventually when it came, I was so disappointed because we've done all the guidelines. We've done everything we're supposed to. It's cost us money. We're not having, you know, as many people in. And then we've made... Joe, hold on for one second. Hold on one second for me, Joe. Val, I'm going to let you go because I know you're probably busy back there and and trying to to get away and do something else. Thank you very much. And good luck. Good luck. Thanks a million. Good luck to everyone out there. Take care, Joe. That was yeah. That's that's quite an eye. That was someone looking for Val's attention there. But but yeah, you're you're closing down midnight tonight. Midnight tonight, twelve o'clock on the dot. I'd say now. I'd say if I go over five or twelve, I won't. But geez, I, I could walk till twelve o'clock tomorrow night, non-stop if if, if I was able to. Um, it was just a short notice, BJ, really, to be honest. With you. I know we're expecting it, but you know yourself when it's actually said, then it's final, you know. Mm. I think you're a bit cross as well that, you know, we didn't do this two weeks ago when Neff had said do it. I was on, BJ, I was saying that. If, if we had done it two weeks, we could be open now for November and December. Because it's used to build up for the parties for people going out. Um, November's as busy as December, I find, you know. Yeah. And there's a great, um, you know, excitement, anticipation for Christmas. That's going to be gone now, you know. Yeah. And even people are saying, will we be back for Christmas, Joe? Like, will we see you before Christmas, you know? Don't forget to put me down now, you know, make sure I have my appointment. Yeah. Um, you know, but I was a little bit, you know, we are going to be, do we have to do it, you know, this is what we need to do to stay safe, we want people to stay safe. But I was a bit disappointed about the GA, they can play matches and they can jump on top of each other and they can do whatever they like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. the senior we, players only, they're, they're, they're after, well, they'll, they'll probably stop the minors and the under-21s and the under-20s, but the senior championship is still going to go ahead. Yeah, but what happens in this place, in the first place, um, PJs, you know, guidelines weren't, weren't respected and, and obeyed or pleased, you know what I mean? All my ladies were coming in, they get, they get three months locked up, then they came back, you know, delight and did all the things, and now they're expected to do it again, you know? And I think it's just fair, part of society did most of the hard work, I think, and I think the, the older generation, the people over 70s were, were great and they're so compliant, you know? Yeah. Um, bit disappointed, PJ. But look, at the same time, I know we have to do it, and we get on with it. I hope the you know the black market don't take off again. Now I was just talking to a wholesaler there a minute ago, and I Valerie said, seems to think it won't this time. But I don't know. I'm I'm doubtful. It did the last time. It was rampant, and it was more rampant than we were able to to talk about. Valerie, and it, 
Is he busy? Where to get the product from? I was speaking to a wholesaler there. I said, you close. Oh, no, we'll have, we'll have deliveries and stuff now to do. Sure, they're not delivering to salons, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's people picking up little parcels and they're going to go off. And I did, I did find when I went back the last time, I must be honest, there's a few people I hadn't seen, you know, that have stopped coming. Yeah. Now, very few, but they have to. And I know it, it, it's they were starting to get the hair done somewhere else and getting it done in someone's house and getting it done cheaper. Yeah. All right, and that is a big problem, you know. It's it's, and so I hope now with the six weeks, maybe they won't. You know what I mean? Right. And please, well, you'd laugh at the repair jobs we had to do, <laughs> and what it cost the poor crates was like. They were green, they were orange, they were pink, they were everything. There was <laughs> it like a bat's nest. <laughs> oh, it was, it was great fun actually. <laughs> all right, cheers, Joe. Thanks yeah, very look, much. We have to be light-hearted, and we have to be kind of. We all have to mind each other, and your grace at just you know getting people to shop local. They're just saying us. That's you know ninety six seven. Thank you all very much. You're being great support. I know it's guys like you need the support, Joe. All right, and our best to Darren and, and look after yourselves for the next few weeks, mate. That's Joseph Bourne from Joe the hairdresser in Glasheen, closing down at midnight tonight for six weeks. Terry says no issues with our hair, PJ. I don't know. Well, Terry's got none um, or very little I the problem with me is it grows like lichen so so that by the end of this I'll be a stone and a half heavier and I look like something crawled through a ditch but I was lucky because my daughter grooms dogs so I'll be okay sometime in between she'll she'll sort me out Kevin on Twitter says on the GAA same as the Premier League as long as the players are regularly tested we need the distraction and something to look forward to if there's a match on the telly that's great there's only so much news people can take, which is a valid point. I am really looking forward, for example, to the Six Nations match this weekend, Ireland and Italy. I'm, it is this weekend, is I think it is. I'm really looking forward to that. I have little or no interest in the soccer, to be honest with you, at the moment. Um, if you're a Spurs fan, you'll understand why. Uh, and let Norian then do much better. And let's not even talk about Cork City. But, anyway, I'm looking forward to the rugby. And it is a, a welcome distraction for, for a while. Uh, I have a girlfriend up the country. I had planned to head up to hers this Friday for a week or so. Can I still do that or will I be fined? Or are those fines not until next week? Well, you can't anyway. You can't anyway, dude. Going to have to tell her you love her over Zoom because do whatever else comes to you over Zoom. But no, you can't because you can't go outside the county. Even where we are now, you can't go outside the county. As of tonight at midnight, you can't go outside five kilometres. So send her a Zoom. Will B&Q and goodies and goodies, woodies be closed? Thank you, Dave. Probably not. There's an exemption. I, I have my big supplement from the Irish Independent uh, in the other room. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. I'll check that for you and I'll let you know before the end of the programme. 1850 The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. The Balancholic Community Hub Facebook group have organised a spooktacular drive-by Halloween parade on Saturday the 31st of October at 5pm. Participants are encouraged to dress up and join the car parade following the route from Lakewood Sports Complex through Balancholic and ending at the Paulavone Roundabout. The event will adhere to strict COVID-19 guidelines. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie 
This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96FM. Right, just answering that query on Woody's and B&Q under the list of essential retail outlets, hardware, builders, merchants and outlets that provide wholesale products like that. They're, so Woody's and B&Q, yes, that will be open. Actually, just looking through what will be open, <clears throat> a very comprehensive list here, won't take a sec. Retailers with mixed retail offering who have discrete spaces for essential and non-essential retail should make arrangements for the separation of relevant areas. Now, that's interesting. Does it mean Does it mean that some parts of a Tesco may need to be cordoned off? That's an interesting one. Food or beverage outlets, takeaway, newspapers, uh, food, necessary for, uh, products necessary for upkeep and functioning of place of residence and business, like cleaning products, pharmacies, chemists, that kind of thing, outlets selling health or medical goods, fuel stations, heating providers, outlets selling essential items for the health and welfare of animals, for example, laundries, dry cleaners, banks, post offices, credit unions, any place sell, selling safety supplies, footwear, personal protective equipment, that kind of thing. Quite a long, quite a long list. Electrical outlets, I think phone shops can open, phone repair shops can open. It's quite quite a long list, as we said. Uh, then, PJ, I have no issues with off-licenses, but the government has stated only essential business should remain open. Is alcohol essential or just nice to have? In my opinion, not essential. As, my, as Michael Guerin said, prohibition won't work. It's legally available, alcohol. It's not essential. Of course it's not essential. If it's not essential, it's not essential. No, it's not. But I strongly suspect that closing them might create more problems than it would solve. 1850-715-996. The South Dock in Blackpool is still closed. And uh, Sinn Féin TD Thomas Gould has raised it with the Minister for Health to ask Minister Donnelly why South Dock in Blackpool, the one by the Sunbeam, I assume, is still closed. Is that the one, Thomas? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. That's correct. That's the one. I suppose just to let your listeners know, uh, this was closed in March, and they said at the time they were kind of, cons- they were kind of conciliating all the different um, treatment centres because of covid and the issues were raised with, um, I suppose, with contacts and social distancing and what have you. So at the time in March, I wrote to South Dock and I wrote to the minister saying, I look for a commitment that Blackpool and the other treatment centres would be reopened again, uh, or the other clinics would be reopened as soon as um, as things return to normal after the, the first wave. So where does someone that- go now that needs a doctor in the evening time? What happens now, after 6pm, you have to go out to South Dock and the Kinsale Road. And the issue for that, PJ, is that like we've had cases where, where people, it cost one family there, a 20 euro taxi out and a 20, 20 euros back to go home. We had another person who actually walked all the way out there. Um, like, it's a huge loss. To, not just the north. You see, when people think of the north, they might think of everywhere from Loch 
to Ballyvillain and Mayfield. But this goes right out towards your people from Blarney, Whitechurch, Whitecross, Carrigan all the way into Glanmire yeah. that would come into you, Southdock and Blackpool. Yeah. So when people are think, thinking of the Blackpool service, it's for the greater Cocknall Central area. Yeah. And like PJ, the amount of people who've contacted me, like they gave us, they didn't give us a firm commitment, but they said that this was a temporary measure. But what reason so, did they give? At the time, it was because of the COVID restrictions came in, and they, they were they were consolidating all their uh, their treatment and clinic centres because of that. And so that doesn't, that doesn't make any time. sense. We're, we're, we're supposed to avoid crowded places. So you close one base and you ram everybody into the other base. So that's only well, going to he, cause more problems than it solves. Well, I think, no, PJ, what they've done is they've, they've, they've first floor in Kinsale Road roundabout for the north side, uh, let's say, doctors, and the ground floor as far as I know from okay. the south side doctors. Okay. But the thing, PJ, if there was an issue with Blackpool, we know that there are facilities in St. Mary's campus in the orthopedic that they could have used. Yes. There's, and, like, there's, ex, there's buildings around the north side at the moment that they could have moved into. Yes. And what I'm looking from South Dock is a guarantee that they'll reopen a service on the north side. Yeah. If there's issues with Blackpool and how big it is and social distancing, or if the building's not fit for purpose, that's fair enough. But they closed this in March, and now we're in October going into November, and yeah. it's not good enough. You, 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 you mentioned here. people as well spending 20 quid out on a taxi and 20 quid back in a taxi, and if you don't have a medical card, your, your South Dock is another 60 on top of it. That's and an expensive P- visit to the doctor. People will take chances. And PJ, you also have, if you don't have a medical card from people, get the prescription afterwards. And like PJ, unfortunately, I've used South Dock a lot for my own family, right, yeah, and myself. Yeah. And if you have a sick child, there's a big difference between swinging into Blackpool that is a couple of minutes away from you or it's within a reasonable time than driving right across the city. And like, that's the whole issue. Like, Manny's the night I was in uh, South Dock and Blackpool and the majority of people in there are either children or elderly. And yeah. that's the way, that's why. So, like, they have a duty of care to the to the citizens of Cox North Central that they will provide a service that will look after everyone. And I think South Dock are letting us down big time at the moment. And I think we need a commitment from them now to deliver. Because people are really angry, PJ, because we're looking now, just, just, we're still not sure if Mount Carlos is not going to be closed down. We're, we've lost two dentists um, uh, facilities, one in Montanati and one in Mayfield in January. We're looking at South Dock being closed. Like the north side is being stripped of services and it has to stop. Let me let me read back. You got a letter back from uh, Theresa O'Donovan, Head of Service in Primary Care for Cork and Kerry Community Healthcare. I think the Minister's office deferred to their office to, to answer you and they said all centres in Cork City and County except Blackpool have now reopened. We're continuing discussions with South Dock with regard to how the service will be delivered in the weeks and months ahead. South Dock have assured us that every possible effort has been made and will continue to be made to avoid or minimise any impact on patients. Good enough? Well, well please, I've been told now and in confidence, right, that that's not true that there was alternatives brought to the South Top Board of other facilities in the North Side, which they have rejected. So for them to say that they've looked at all options, 
as far as my information has, and I have to be careful because it's confidential to the people involved. And I was told back in March... And we have to take them at their word as well if they say they've looked at other options, Tom. Well, what I'm saying, PJ, is I'm telling you now, like, you're a reporter a long time. Uh, you know that people will come to you with, and if you have it confirmed by a number of sources sure. that you, you know what they're saying. And I was told back in March that a decision had been made to close Blackpool and they used the cover of COVID. And here we are now in October and this everywhere else opened up in Cork and Kerry except for Blackpool. And to me, what that says again is... Um, they neglected the North Side, they neglected the Cock North Central, okay. and we're being forgotten about up here, PJ. And well, well it, doesn't, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good if it's the only one uh, not open. Uh, the saga, as they say, continues. Uh, thank you, uh, Thomas. That's uh, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central. Uh, Thomas Gould, just to reiterate again what happened, he submitted a parliamentary question to the Minister for health and they pass it as they do they deferred it back to HSE and the response he got from HSE primary care was discussions continuing with South Dock with regard to how the Blackpool service will be delivered in the weeks and months ahead South Dock assure us that every possible effort has been made and will continue to be made 185715996 wouldn't you hate to be though up in the heart of the north side with a sick child or a sick elderly person or be sick yourself and instead of just toddling down around the corner to see the doctor you have to get a taxi out to Kinsale Road at a cost of the bones of 20 quid and then you have to wait see the doctor pay the doctor if you don't have a medical card pay the doctor probably 60, 65 quid and then nip around the corner into the chemist where you might drop another 40 or 50 notes if you don't have a medical card and then you're going to try and get another taxi back so that's 150 quid just to go to see the doctor like that's that's crazy that's absolutely crazy 1850-715-996 I was just over in Argos in Mahan Point they said they'll be staying open says Marion, order before you go in. Hanley's Christmas Store. Oh, I love Hanley's Christmas Store. Wondering if it'll be open. I rang there. They say the garden centre will be open with a limited range, but the Christmas shop will be closed while they review what their options might be. They may do online. They may do uh, click and collect. It'd be an awful thought. God, Christmas isn't Christmas. November isn't November without a visit to Hanley's Store. Uh, they do such a brilliant display in there. Frank says all these restrictions and Italy coming to Ireland on Saturday without isolating. Didn't that go well the last time? Well, the team didn't come the last time, Frank. To be fair, the team didn't come the last time. And it'll probably be a bit more uh, organised this time. They'll be tested, I suppose, before they get on the plane over and tested again when they come here and all of that. So they'll at least have precautions taken. But your point is, your point is valid. Uh, call her down and say what for anyone wondering what is open and what is closed there's a very comprehensive list on merionstreet.ie This is Cork's Gold Imro award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850 715 996 On Cork's 96FM 
Marie or Mary, can never tell which. I said, I think this is a disgrace. This is about South Dock. Everything about getting sick in Ireland drives people into fear and misery. Thanks to 96FM for highlighting it. Keep up the pressure. Uh, I live in, in Yall. We must drive to Middleton to go to South Dock, says another message. 1850-715-996. Yesterday morning, this time yesterday, the floods were receding and things were getting slowly, damply, Back to normal. Chloe, you were downtown at the height of it. And what did you see? I I was, yeah, I was. um, I saw um, traders being clamped, or will say not clamped, but getting tickets um, along Patrick Street. um, And I just thought, you know, it really pulled on my heartstrings. Um, I witnessed a gentleman who was surrounded by three um, officers who was begging with them to receive the ticket in that he was saying, I've been damaged by the floods. We're going down into lockdown. I have to get things out of my premises and I cannot do so. How do you think that this is fair on any level? Um, can you please rethink, you know, we're mm. being penalised. And was it wardens, Chloe, or guards? It was, yeah. Not mm. officers, I wardens would be a better word to use. Um, but I saw them out in force. I mean, there were four or five of them along Patrick Street and they were clamping every single vehicle they saw um, bar taxis. Now, I understand, PJ, that during the time, it was just, when I was there, it was just coming into the time where the penalty um, is, is, is around for, you know, the way Patrick Street um, turns into a, 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 a public transport yes, zone. Yes, 3 o'clock, yeah, the Panama. So, yeah. yes, it was approaching on that time um, and I know they were waiting for people. And I just thought, okay, granted, I understand that they, they have a, a law in place there now. That you cannot do that. You can't enter the city or Patrick Street. But I just thought with the, with the circumstances, there were so many people. I watched them yeah. getting back into their vehicles in just a state that can't believe that their livelihoods are, you know, being so badly damaged by the pandemic and, you know, the floods in the morning. And there was just so much, you know, negativity being around I just thought, really? That was the icing of the cake to come out and get a fucking parking ticket. And it really could just be the last straw for some of these people. You know, you really have to think about this could just be the straw that broke the camel's back. And it was just, I wonder, my question is, who who is responsible for allowing this um, and how can we fix it? Can we try and get them to issue a rebate that anybody who got tickets yesterday will be you know, that they'll be nulled, or is there anything we can do, is my well, well, the first thing you've done is draw attention to it, Chloe, which is a great idea, and thank you for doing that. The other thing is we can remind people that during lockdown one, the only people who came to town were essential workers, mm-hmm. uh, workers involved in an essential line of business or a frontline worker of some kind, and parking fees were waived entirely. For six to mm. eight weeks, there was no parking needed, no parking discs required, no tickets mm. hand, handed out. So if they want to do it, they could. They could waive any ticket issued yesterday in the city centre if they wanted to do that. Mm. And it was, there was, I, okay, granted, I did see a few private vehicles, but 99% of them were commercially owned vans. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they were even commercial jeeps or anything. They were commercial vans. These were traders. These were people that are trying their hardest to keep their heads above water. Yeah. And there was a decision made yesterday. 
by the looks of things for people to go out in force. There's a time and a place and that was neither. Chloe, thank you very much. 1850 Tickets handed out as people were trying to clean up their premises after a flood trying to get their stock out, trying to get their premises dry and presentable for the last days of trading before the five-week shutdown and they were ticketed in the middle of the day. And if they want to waive those tickets, they could. And something else worth checking, we may be able to check with City Hall, the last time the parking tickets and parking charges were waived because it was only essential workers who were coming into town. As of midnight tonight, it's only essential workers are supposed to come into town. Thankfully, all of us here have a letter and a card to allow us to travel into town to continue to do our job, to keep this programme on the air and things like that. But but others don't. And there was a provision made in the first lockdown from City Hall that there'd be no charges and no no tickets handed out. I wonder if they're going to do that for the second lockdown. 1850 715 There has been a row brewing over mother and baby homes and the records from mother and baby homes and the records of the inquiry into mother and baby homes. It's been brewing for a while. I'm sorry I didn't get to it. We've been overwhelmed with other stuff. But I do want to touch upon it because it is still there and it's still very much before the door. There's a bill dealing with the Mother and Baby Homes Commission, the report of which hasn't yet been published, but we expect it to be fairly damning and heartbreaking reading when it does come out. But the testimonies of survivors of the mother and baby homes which were given to that commission are to be sealed for three decades, for 30 years, along with other records. And you can imagine people are desperate to stop that from happening. Carmel Cantwell is a member of the Besborough Commemoration Committee. Carmel, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. This is, of course, deeply personal to you um, for, for your own reasons, but sealing these records up for 30 years, what will it do to people? Well, it's so upsetting. Um, I mean, this bill has been rushed through without proper scrutiny or consultation with the people that are affected. You know, um, the era of secrecy, I think, has gone, and I think that, that, that this is the people's information, the people that gave their testimony. It's theirs. It's not the minister's. They should consult with the people. I know that the, the confidentiality uh, uh, issue, ask the people, do they want their records, uh, their testimony to be public, or do they want it to be redacted in some way? Do they want it destroyed? But ask them. Uh, at the moment, you can't even get a copy of your own testimony. Uh, testimony. It's it's just really awful, the lack of consultation. You gave testimony, didn't you? Uh, my mother gave testimony, yeah. yes. Yeah. And would she have a problem with, with people being able to access that testimony? No, I mean, she purposely went in front of... Rather than going to the confidential committee, she went in front of Judge Murphy because... Um, she wanted to do this for her baby that died. She wanted justice for him. She wanted um, to, for her story to be heard. Yet, yet she, she, she's very. Um, she still feels the stigma of shame. She doesn't like really particularly talking about it amongst her own uh, peers. But if if it means getting to the truth, getting her baby's story out there, getting justice for him, yes, she will. Um, uh, put her story out there. Brief, briefly remind listeners again, Carmel, what happened to William, your brother? 
Uh, well, William was born a healthy baby in 1960, uh, but he got an infection which we believe was through a di- dirty needle that was administered to my mother. My mother became very sick and the baby became sick at three days old. It took the nuns about three weeks uh, to actually get him some hospital care and he survived another three weeks in the hospital. But this was stuff that my mother never knew about at the time. She didn't know how old he was when he died. She didn't know where he was taken. She didn't know any circumstances. And she left Besba really in a, in a, a terrible state. And it wasn't until 1994, when I, by coincidence, moved here uh, from London, that she chose to visit Besba to find out some information about her baby, what happened to him, how old he was, what he died of. She had no idea of anything. And, um, uh, and it was through that inquiry in 94 that the nuns wrote to St. Finbar's Hospital and asked them if they had records of what happened to the baby. Uh, the nuns got a reply, but they decided not to tell my mother what was in the letter, and they just decided to take her down to the graveyard in Besborough and tell her that the baby was buried there. It wasn't until last year when the burials report came out that we read an anonymised um, uh, details of my mother's story uh, uh, which revealed where he was buried, which was Cars Hill. And yeah. there was a document um, uh, saying that. Now, my mother has done three FOIs, two to uh, between 2013 uh, and 15, and all the, the three times this letter na- never came to the surface. So it took the commission's researchers to find it. And uh, when I rang up the commission and, and like we've been looking for 25 years trying to find out information, they said that they could not, they were not permitted to give us that information, that letter. Um, and um, after some to and fro and it was agreed I could speak to Tuzla and uh, they had no idea where the letter was. It took them six weeks to find it. Yeah. So, you know, and we're really worried um, that information will get lost between uh, Tuzla and the commission and, yeah. you know, does Tuzla have the people, the archivists to deal with all this? Yes. But, um, but your, 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 your mum also, and she's elderly now, of course, wants, she wants the story to be out there in public for people to see what happened to yes, her. Yes, she wants, she wants people to learn by it. It, will never, it should never happen again. Um, uh, you know, her story was suppressed for so long. I mean, sure, I was well into my 30s before I found out about it. I had mm. no clue. Um, and even to this day, she can't uh, talk about it without breaking down and crying. Um, you can understand why, can't you? Yeah, yeah. And it feels like now that... Um, more you know, secrets, it, Carol. More secrets, yes. It's been suppressed. I mean, this information, I mean, in my mother's case, her story's from 60 years ago. So why lock, lock stuff up for 30 years? Surely these records are, are you know, they're, they're old. I can understand about the, the issue about the um, people's testimonies. But again, consultate, consult with them and ask them go. what they want. They have a list of who gave them testimony. Yes. You contact them and you say, do you mind if we publish your testimony? Yes. Are you okay with that? Well, I don't think anybody's talking about publishing. Yeah, just have them available. It, Sorry, it's just, bad I choice. Think a, um, a complete copy of the research done by the Commission should be with the government. Just there. I mean, 
you know, there's lots of information in Tusla. No one publishes this, this information. It's just a, a it's given just there, that it's yeah, confidential. Yeah. Bad choice of words on my part, yeah. yeah. You know, but, but you, I mean, you... going down for projects in the future, if people want to join in with um, historical pro- projects and give their testimony, they can give it anonymously. Uh, they can put their names to it if they want. It, you know, the choice should be totally theirs. Okay. Carol, leave it there for now. Thank you, as always. That's Carmel Cantwell. Uh, Holly Cairns, uh, uh, Southwest, Cork Southwest TD for the Social Democrats, joins me. Holly, you've taken up the cudgels here on behalf of people like Carmel and her mother. Why, why do you, what reason is the Minister Roddy O'Gorman giving for, for sealing these records? Good morning to you. Um, good morning. The, the Minister is saying um, that that isn't the purpose of this legislation, that the the Mother and Baby Homes Commission has come to an end and the files have to go, the archives from that commission have to go somewhere. Now, yesterday he there was a welcome amendment in that the Department of Children will be keeping a copy of these archives, but they're still um, sending a copy to Tusla as well. And the initial plan, and you can understand Carmel's concerns in relation to that, was to just send them to Tusla. Um, like Carmel said, she, her mother and uh, other survivors aren't permitted to get information from Tusla. So, you know, popular opinion is that Tusla shouldn't get these files in the first place. They treat your own adoption information as third-party information. Um, so there is some amendments, but still, even though, and like I said, it's very welcome that the Minister is going to keep a copy of the archive, they will still be sealed for 30 years. And like Carmel said, the government is determined to rush this legislation through without pre-legislative scrutiny, despite the concerns of many survivors of the state and religious-run institutions. And I think it's really important to remember the gravity of this topic. You know, this commission was formed in light of the discovery of 800 babies and young children found in tomb in unmarked graves and a disused septic tank. Tomb was one of 10... Irish institutions run by religious orders. And we also found out, Holly, worth reminding people that in Besborough there are nearly 900 babies unaccounted for. Exactly. So there was 35,000 unmarried pregnant women sent to these institutions. In Besborough, yeah, 900 missing and they can account for less than 100 of those. Like this, the, the crimes that we're talking about, and they are crimes, are the most severe violations of human rights that you can imagine. We're talking about illegally selling children abroad, human trafficking, enforced disappearance, systematic rape and abuse of the worst kind. Like, the list goes on. And then we have the Minister Knight saying, no, we're not, um, you know, we're not trying to seal these away. Historically, that is continuously what the government have done while saying they're not doing it. So I raised this with Michael Martin uh, yesterday because... He was a part of Bertie Ahern's government that brought in a gagging order in relation to another report from uh, in, in relation to institutional abuse. I won't mm. go into that today, but it compounded survivors' trauma. You know, a gagging order. And he, he referred to giving them their voice. Like, you don't do that with a gagging order, with silencing things away. He admitted it was a mistake afterwards. So I asked him yesterday to choose not to make the same mistakes now. He doesn't have to repeat mistakes from the past. And if we pass the mother and baby homes records bill in its current form, the only question, in my opinion, worth asking is whose interests are being served? Because you and I know, Carmel knows, it's not the interests of survivors. And there's a serious lack of respect for survivors with an approach like that. You know, when people you will, some people will want their, their their stuff handled in total anonymity for, all, for all perpetuity. They're entitled to that too, aren't they? 100%. And of course, nobody's advocating for anything different. 
Um, but there's no closure without justice and there's no justice if the state continues to protect everybody's interests except survivors. They can't say, oh, well, it's for the... Some survivors don't want their information to be public. That is, nobody wants that if that's not what they want. We're talking about the ones that do. We're talking about situations like Carmel's where you can't access your own information. Here's stories of people sitting in front of social workers who have all of the information about that person's life and they can't access it. See, we have other records from institutional abuse that have been sealed away for 75 years and they're trying to seal these away for 30. The systems of the state have done enough damage and it's time for them to stop now and they can put a stop to it. Okay. Um, they can release uh, an index so we know what's in the report. They can allow people to access their own personal information and they can allow historians to because it's not just the likes of me and survivors. Human rights lawyers are coming in and they're saying this is an absolute violation of people's human, human rights. Like how long are we going to wait before these people get justice? It is unimaginable that this has happened. It's also it's inexplicable that we continue to further deprive these people of their personal information, to further traumatise them, to not offer them respect and dignity that they deserve. It is an absolute disgrace. Um, and I'll be raising it again today okay. uh, with Minister Roger Gorman, and tomorrow we'll be debating the amendments to this okay. bill as well. We will see where it goes, Holly. Thank you very much. That's Holly Cairns, uh, Cork South West TD for the Social Democrats. We'll come back to this subject. It's going to run and run because this particular bill is still going through the House. That's it. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Tomorrow, I have no responsibility for what happens between 9 and 12. Casey and Ross are here tomorrow and Friday. Enjoy your long weekend. And if we still have a programme to come back to, I'll talk to you Tuesday just after 9. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odour control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colours to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.